Axiom, the tasty truth. Ladies and germs, welcome to I Like Your Style with Elder Bryson. I'm here with uh, the great unfinished from Scotland. How's it going? Good, good. Yeah, I'm enjoying a lockdown. I'm one of these strange people that actually likes to be on my own. So now the kids are back at school. It's perfect. That's fantastic. You're you're, you're lucky. I, I started out that way, right? For the first six months or so, it was like, yeah, I can do this. This is great. You know, fuck people, right? And then here, here I am like a year later and all I want to do is just go have a drink in a bar and ha- have an argument with a stranger about nonsense. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That is the thing I'm missing. I'm missing just going out and forgetting about things. Uh, that escapism of just going to the bar and just being with friends and things like that. And gigs, I'm really missing gigs. Yeah. Like, no. Not just playing them, but going to them, like, that was a huge part of my life. Yeah, same. It's, it's, and, and I, you know, my main paying gig is I do sound and lighting for concerts. So that, it, that hasn't happened for me for months or years. Oh, that'd be tough. Yeah, yeah. It is, I've, I've got friends who are professionals as well, and they're really, really struggling just now. Yeah, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, though, right? I've got my appointment to get my vaccine tomorrow, so you know it's it's looking up. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't take anything for granted now, but I haven't had the. I haven't had the notification in for mine yet. I think they're doing over 50s just now, which is scraped under. Ah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got gigs lined up for the summer, so fingers crossed that this all eases a bit. Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful. Um, so tell us about the, the Great Unfinished. Like, what's the origin story? How'd you get started? Uh, well, well, the name's probably quite deliberate. Well, it is still that I chose it, but um, the I I started a band when I was seventeen, and the band was called Minus Three, and it was because I was writing on a four track, um, and I was minus three band members, um, and that kind of formed into a band that got quite popular, um, and then when we split up, I started a band called the Kamikazes, and I was in that band until I was about twenty four, um. And then I kind of, uh, the it was going through a kind of rocky time for for the band. We were all friends and we were starting to fall out and things like that. So uh, we basically called it a day and I took a break for literally 15 years and started back again in 2017. Um, and as soon as I did that, I set up my own home recording studio and started to teach myself like production and, and mixing um, and that's really been my journey so the the great unfinished has kind of been it started off well this was like 
something I started when I was younger. Um, it, it always felt unfinished and I had to come back to it. But it's now became a bit prophetic and uh, uh, I probably got about 200 unfinished songs. I'm just writing like crazy and especially through lockdown. But uh, I love the recording bit and the writing bit, but it's the mixing and the the, the mastering and then getting out there that uh, I don't enjoy as much. And God, the promotion is, is, the, is the bit that's the real tough one. But that's kind of got me up to here. Hey, yeah, no, I, I get that. I would way rather be spend all my time writing than producing. That's for sure. But, uh, yeah. you know, you gotta, you gotta make it sound good for anyone to like it. Uh, but it's funny. You mentioned that four track recorder earlier. Uh, was it the same task cam one that everyone else had when they were 17? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think I had an advanced one that was four track, but you could keep bouncing the four tracks on your one. So you could end up with like 18 vocal tracks. Oh, wow. Um, which was generally what I ended up with, all these layered vocals um, and a guitar and nothing else in it. But <laughs> it, got, it got all the early songs out. Hell yeah. Uh, so what's, you know, you've been doing this for a while like me. Uh, what's one thing you wish you'd known when you first got started? Um. So when I first got started, actually, I gave up quite a lot. So I was studying art at university um, and I gave that up because I was doing music more. And um, I went into it quite seriously, thinking that that was, that my band was going to make it, that it was going to be professional. Um, And when that didn't happen, I kind of took it quite heavily. but I suppose when I took that break and came back to it, um, I didn't put that pressure on myself and I just focused on enjoying it um, and constantly developing and getting better and better at what I'm doing. Um, and that's been that's been enough for me, really. I mean, I'd love people to like it and I, I still do a bit of the promotion. I still try and get it out there and... Um, I'd love to get out there as far as possible, but I'm not pegging my success as a songwriter on commercial success. Yeah, no, there's no need for that in this day and age, right? Like it's 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 all about you know finding your people, right? Like the yeah. the big world of commercial success seems a little overrated sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, and do you know what? Interestingly, I mean, we've never had the reach that we've, we've got now. So if you think about it, if the, with the many billions of people, billions of people on the planet, if you, if a band reached 1% of those billions, so one out of 99, every 99 people got it and liked it, you would be the biggest band on the planet. Oh, yeah, so, totally. Um, so it is just a case of finding that market, finding that one percent, um, and I suppose is you can take a step back and look at it quite glibly and, and say, well, that's all it is. But that in itself, there's so many people out there trying to do exactly the same that 
uh, it's tough and people are especially now we've moved to online promotion I think people are being bombarded all the time to the extent where they need a bit of social proofing so they need other people to jump on the bandwagon before they will so it's hard to get that first start if you understand what I mean I do understand what you mean, because there's, you know, you got to reach a certain level for, you know, online promotion to do anything. Um, But there's word of mouth still exists, you know, Uh, live playing a great live gig still exists. Like those are still great options, you know, or I mean, it's playing a great live gig doesn't exist right now. But for you, hopefully this summer uh, it will. Um, So that's. That's that's a thing that people don't take into account sometimes. I mean, yeah, yeah, and then people. That's it. The uh, people love live music. That's how they get to know you. Um, that's how they they get to connect with the band, I suppose. Um, so that's probably the next stage for me. Actually, I've been doing all this on my own. So I've been playing all the instruments instruments myself, doing doing everything myself. Um, and I'm really keen when we come out of lockdown to get a band together and just start enjoying it. And again, we know pressure, like uh, I felt in my early 20s, just getting out there, having fun, connecting with people, getting getting the message out there in, in a fun way that that is not just bombarding people online all the time. Yeah. That's that's a hundred percent accurate because nobody nobody's got time for that. Like, <laughs> so what does rock and roll mean to you? Well, you know, oddly, I um when I first got into rock and roll, like my favorite band, well, my gateway band was Queen, and Queen will always be. An, an amazing band that, and there'll never be anything like Queen, but uh, it kind of opened my doors to heavy metal and all that side of it, sort of in my early teens. Um, and at that stage, it was music was very technical, um, and in that sense, it was unattainable. Um, so it wasn't really until like the early nineties when when grunge and punk started to break that I actually started to think, actually, yeah, anyone can do this. Um, you don't need to be an amazing player, um, and it's all about the song. It's not about the musicianship. Um, so rock and roll to me is just about that song, that song that uh, speaks to you, that that gets you moving, that that makes you smile or, or or touches you emotionally in any way. It's tr- true. Like I was watching something the other day where someone was talking about how like back in the sixties and seventies, you know, like there were rock gods, right? You had your David Gilmore's, uh, you had your Jimmy pages and like it, it was unattainable to the, yeah. nobody thought that they could. And now any kid in guitar center can play stairway to heaven until they get stopped because it's against the law. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there, there was, yeah, there was this idea that, you know, rock and roll was this unattainable 
stratus of goddom that yes, is exactly. not, it's not true. So much gatekeeping happening, right? Like, and it's just not, not a thing. If, uh, if someone can write a song or make a piece of art that makes you feel something, that's what's important. And, and I think that's pretty fucking rad. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? The, we are changing though. I mean, we are probably, we're probably the old guys now, um, <laughs> but the, uh, Young people, they're not they're not always looking for the most polished music. They're they're getting it from all over the place. They're they're looking for a buzz. They're looking for and they're 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 consuming in one song at a time. They're not buying albums or making huge commitments to to artists until maybe they hear that three or four singles and um, that end up on their playlist and, and they go that way. But I think Music's changed considerably from from when we were young. Where you, we listened to albums, uh, we bought albums, and it's going back to the way it was maybe like in the fifties and sixties with the the jukebox culture, where people are are buying singles and singles are becoming the the most important thing. And I suppose from from guys like me that are making their own music, and um, that's probably better because rather than release one album a year, I can release 12 singles, for example. Um, and I get that opportunity to promote 12 times. Um, so I, I see that the way it's going. I mean, things like Spotify and streaming aren't going anywhere. Um, and albums aren't coming back apart from the, the vinyl collectors. Um and, and old guys like us that still buy CDs, um, but <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I mean we have to we have to go with it, and it, it probably suits the the home recorder. Yeah, no, you're. <laughs> You're spot on with that. It's it's funny though, because like when I was a kid, you talk about like kids not caring about music being the most polished. It was actually like almost the opposite for music. And like I looked for music that wasn't polished. Like punk rock was, and and, and yeah. Scott punk was all I listened to from like age twelve to age sixteen. Um, and then I heard like Rage Against the Machine for the first time, right? And like that opened my eyes to all kinds of other new music, right? But uh. Yeah, it was uh, any any time like a band would come out like with something that I considered quote unquote overproduced, right? It was like yeah, they're sellouts, right? And it was just no, they were just trying to improve their musicianship. <laughs> yeah, but there's a certain sort of music though that doesn't lend itself to big production, punk being one of them, um, and that's kind of always been my saving grace because I've I've always kind of I mean, I'm I'm hard on myself about my production, um, and I put I put a lot of work into trying to learn and get better, and I'm constantly learning. Um, but there is still part of me that, if it sounds too polished, I still dirty it up a bit. I still like it to sound like it was recorded in a garage, <laughs> or um, it's got that gritty sound because I don't think I write the sort of music that would suit a huge production. Uh, yeah, you gotta you, you hear it a little too clean. You gotta you gotta loosen the tie up on it a little bit sometimes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so on a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? Ooh. I'd 
I'd say an eight. eight. Yeah. What's the weirdest thing you've done lately? Probably a haircut. For the folks who can't see it at home, he's cut his been cutting his own hair in lockdown, and it's it actually it's a it's a nice little faux hawk. I can't really actually say. I mean, based on the the loose uh, the the grainy quality of the video, you know, it's, it's it it looks fine. It's acceptable. Yeah, no, you you done you done a fine job with that. That's I, that's totally. I mean, you know, yeah, it's it's not an old guy haircut for sure, but. <laughs> <laughs> it works. Yeah, yeah. I've got um I've got two kids. One is uh ten and the other one is six. Um, and their hair is getting so long during lockdown that they still won't let me anywhere near them with the clippers. <laughs> um and do you know what I was I was um I was quite conservative because my, my day job I work in an office um and since lockdown, mm-hmm. so for over a year I've been working from home. Um, and, and my work's told me that I'll probably be permanently working from home. So I just done my hair whatever way I liked um, and turned my video off and all the, all my work Skype calls. Um, and uh, I, uh, another reason why I like lockdown. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's been rougher because like for years I had a roommate who was also a, a hairstylist. So she would cut my hair. And then she moved to San Francisco right before lockdown happened, and I I don't oh. know what to do. <laughs> well, if you, were, if you were local, I would give you a, I'd give you a haircut. I I'd, I'd appreciate that. She's a lovely one style. <laughs> that that'd be a good style for me though. I think I think that could work. Um, I, luckily she's coming back to town uh, in in a month or so. So I've only got to deal with this for another month until she comes to cut it, and then she'll disappear for another year, and I won't know what to do. You know. So. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I'm thinking I'll need to tie the kids down and shave their heads though. Brilliant. Like, That's- um, they they look wild. Or you can do what my stepdad does. Uh, he's got one. Of, have you heard of the Floby? No. So he's got this uh, this vacuum attachment that hooks up to his vacuum cleaner, and it, <laughs> it, it, it sucks the hair up into these little clipper blades, and it cuts all, everything at a perfectly even length through that was suction. A, that was a Wayne's World thing, wasn't it? The <laughs> <sucking>. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, my, my stepdad actually owns one and uses it regularly. <laughs> it's his favorite thing. <laughs> Uh, so what have you been listening to lately that's been inspirational to you do you know I I took a big break from punk um, and I went back into sort of early 90s alternative um, for a while so I never really got for example Smashing Pumpkins back in the day um, but I got really into them a few months ago but do you know what more recently, I've got back into punk. Um, the um, anti-flag um, are, are a favourite of mine. And although they are kind of poppy now, um, I do love their their message. I think they're capturing... Um, oh, yeah. Capturing a, a side in America that needs to be captured that gets no press. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, they they paint they paint like messages on their amps when they play live too. Like, 
pray for a cloudy day and that's like a representative of, you know, like the kids in the seven countries that are currently being attacked by the United States government, you know, like yep. they know that the drones can't blow up their school if the clouds are out, you know, and it's, it's really fucking depressing, but it's also like, it needs to be said, like that kind of imagery, like people distance themselves when they don't see it. Right. When you just see like on the news, like an image of like a, a drone strike happening, like you, you can't personalize it. You know, you don't realize that those are human beings just trying to live their lives like in that hospital <laughs> that they're claiming. Yeah, no, was. I, I agree. You know, that I am, I suppose I am quite political. Um, I have, I have very strong beliefs. Um, and we have quite a right-wing government in the in the UK and quite a buffoon as a prime minister. And I suppose you guys have just come out of that, not to offend any anyone. Uh, no, <laughs> but, just, I've been pretty open about you know the yeah. the horrors of the United States government in this show. <laughs> so that if, yeah. if anyone's still listening, they're not probably offended by that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've barely come out of it. Like we've we've gone we've gone from like ridiculous i mean you know like a step above your boris johnson right who's yep. a, an absolute nightmare i actually saw a picture the other day of him like doing a photo op pretending to play guitar and he had his hand on the wrong side of the capo <laughs> yeah yep. um but the new leadership isn't a leaps and bounds better like it's it's just slightly better <laughs> you know like yeah i know it's just all it's old white money isn't it it's, yeah, it's no change. We'd rather have what we always have than than some maniac. Yeah, um, and that's kind of disappointing because I think um, Obama was great um, for for I think the advancement of of American politics. Um, but yeah, I think it's just went back. Um, Although a black vice president um, was a masterstroke. Yeah, no, a, a black Asian female vice president is great. It's just yeah. for me, I have one political issue that I'm anti-war. And I'm waiting for that day to come to where that's something people are talking about. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that. That's my hope and dream is that that finally somebody comes into American politics and says, "We our military outspends the next twenty countries, nineteen of whom are our allies, and we're we've been bombing seven countries endlessly for over twenty years with no end in sight, no game plan, and no real reason for it. We create for every." person we blow up we create two new enemies right it just doesn't yeah. make sense to me but uh and it's the fact that um the the water's moving away from our reliance on oil um so the agenda over the last 10 to 15 years seemed to be installing central banks private central banks um and I don't know, I'm, I, I do lean towards the conspiracy theories and uh, um, the, the huge secret organisations, but 
um, because um, I don't know, it's just in my nature to question authority, I think. But, yeah, there seems to be the the way that we installed, or the Americans installed a central bank in, uh, uh, what's it called, Libya, yeah. for example. Um, the, the, and Iraq, for that matter, they, they were in the, those countries and they left them worse off. Oh, yeah. Every time. And they absolutely raped their resources um, and they installed central banks. Yeah. But, you know, we installed some sort of pseudo-democracy. So, you know, yay. It's, it's, the whole yeah. thing's absurd to me. You know, I, I don't I don't lean into the conspiracy theories so much as I just think that the state is incompetent. But that's yeah. <laughs> that that that's where that's my head's thing. at. You don't need to go far. I mean, yeah, to be against it, you don't need to be. You don't need to put on a tinfoil hat. It's just right there. <laughs> yeah, um, it's the but, the huge toll and loss of life is right there in front of you. You don't really need to look far. So I'm in. I'm actually in Scotland, which is um, running or is planning on voting for independence again. Um, and I'm a huge proponent for Scottish independence um, because I think we are just completely different politically and culturally from Westminster um, and that old Eton. Uh, Oxbridge sort of elitist boys club. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, you know, uh, Americans barely understand international politics, right? I try to know better than most of them, but still, it's, it's not. Um, but the, the fact that there's still a monarchy in the UK is blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it would be fine if it was just okay. It's a figurehead. It's it's just there for the tourists and um, the royal family. They go out and they do, uh, uh, they they go out and they do ambassadorships. So they're ambassadors for the country and they go out and they, they encourage trade and, and and awareness and all that. But the reality is, we pay them literally millions of pounds every year. And the Queen's one of the richest people in the world. Um, and um, why why should we be funding that? Oh, yeah. Aren't it's, they everybody's the landlord? Like, don't they own... You can't own a house in the UK? Like, they own the property that your house sits on? And you have to pay rent to them or something like that? No, although we do, we do need a lot of land reform. Um, so basically what happens is... Um, you can buy the land rights, but most of the time they're on extendable long-term leases. Um, and you don't pay for them as such, but it's just something written into the aristocracy that they feel as if they could take the land back at any stage. Um, it's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. But we do need land reform. Um, there's like... The majority of Scotland is owned by about three people, for example. So Scotland's not immune to it either. 
these big landowners. Um, and it's generally things that were handed to them 200 years ago. Um, and through doing something pretty bloody or siding on one side of, of some war, um, that, yeah, I mean, we just need to move forward. And I think um, one of the ways, one of the things that Scottish independence will offer is that ability just to reform everything right down to uh, right down to the the voting system democracy um to uh, uh, public public ownership private ownership um and and land reform i think that'll be huge yeah no i i i agree I, i'm gunning for you guys because you know it's a similar picture over here where you know the Native Americans got, you know, screwed out of a bunch of things. And that's how things came to be owned here at this point. So I, I get you. Uh, so, yeah, we'll talk about being anti-war. For example, the UK's nuclear submarines are located in Glasgow um, or just outside Glasgow. Um, so basically, we house the dangerous nuclear weapons. For the for the entire UK, That's um, which is mad. it's absolutely mad. And the reason the reasoning for doing that is Scotland isn't as populated, or they don't care. Yeah, no, I it's 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 a thing. Like I have, I do live in a populated area, but at the same time, I can walk outside and I can see where they build all the all the battleships and aircraft carriers from from my yeah. from my apartment. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a thing. Like it's half the culture of San Diego is, you know, building more military. There's like seven military bases within 20 miles. There's, uh, there's just the whole, the whole beachfront uh, in, or the whole bayfront, I should say outside of the tourist area where the hotels are, are just shipyards for the military. It's, it's just everywhere you you know you see just you know anytime you can go stand out and see a battleship or or a or a aircraft carrier or a destroyer just roaming through the port just like that's that's what that's what we do yeah yeah, yeah and, and do you know what it's a it's a military industrial complex though isn't it it's it's all about money and contracts and private contracts and lobbying and mm-hmm. uh, um, and I suppose at some level it comes down to jobs. It, it comes down to putting money back into the economy and and all sorts of things. So it becomes complicated. But um, the the I suppose the the evolution of it is that we don't need as many people in the military. Um, and the the twenty first century threats are a lot different from from the the nineteenth and twentieth century. So, big armies and throwing bodies at it isn't isn't going to do the job. No, no, it's it's certainly not. Uh, yeah, none of it makes sense to me. But yeah, there's it's it does make sense when you look at it from a financial perspective of. You know the war machine is profitable, and yeah. I mean it's it shouldn't be like you know in a in a truly free society like 
I wouldn't voluntarily pay for you know these worships. The money has to be taken out of my paycheck for to pay for yeah. that against my will. Like I wouldn't be supporting that effort. But you know, back back during World War II, people had to go out and buy war bonds so that they could support the fight against the Nazis. Right? Like that was that was something yeah. I could get behind. Right? But. Now it's just, nope, we're going to take a third of your income and we're going to spend like 2% of that on helping the people in your country and we're going to spend the rest of it blowing shit up and, you know, building bigger, better toys for the military. <laughs> yeah, and I know this This is maybe went a bit more political than, than they normally get, but probably one of the biggest lies that's been, that's run on to people is that you are... Uh, tax dollars go to funding the unemployed and the reality is that unemployment spending once you strip out um, the necessary housing once you you strip out the money that goes to disabled um, and and pension provisioning although there's there's not much of that in America um, then Actually, what is paid to unemployed people is tiny in comparison to, say, uh, spending on uh, military spending or um, or anything, really. Any other. Oh, yeah. Sp- no, exactly. And, and you are right. Well, this is this is a music podcast and we've been talking about. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's part of the punk rock ethos, right? Is, is, yeah, you know, yeah. Fuck the system, all, all that jazz. But uh, anyway, let's get back to music. Like, so as as a musician, you know, all this time, you know, getting up in years, what has been your biggest failure and uh, what did you learn from it? Um, I think taking a break for as long as I did was probably a biggest failure because it certainly wasn't the intention um, to take 15 years off. It's just that life happened. So in that time, I got married, I built a career, um, we had children, and then suddenly 15 years has went by. Um, and it's like, oh, what was that hole in my life again? Um, so I suppose if I was to go back and do it again, I wouldn't have taken that huge break. Um, and I suppose had I not taken that huge break, I'd be potentially a better songwriter. But to say that, sometimes taking a break is exactly what you need. And sometimes getting some life experience is exactly what you need. It's not all about practicing your instrument and and it honing your uh honing your talent as a songwriter. Um, sometimes it's about getting that experience that's worthwhile writing about, that that um, the way you've actually got something to say. So, yeah, I came full circle. So as I probably should have taken a break, I probably shouldn't have taken 15 years is the answer. Yeah, no, and I can totally relate to that. I took about 10 years. I mean, I was kind of doing music, but not with any sort of, you know, I'd record an album, then release it, and then just not do anything with it. It wouldn't promote it. It wouldn't, you know, play. I played a couple, I played a couple shows here and there, but like I wasn't actively doing music for 10 years. I was building a sales career 
which was total waste of time. I was miserable. Right. (laughs) So that's that's it. (laughs) Um, But that's life, though, isn't it? Like, I think um, when I, I, a part of me kind of gave gave up on this dream of being a professional musician, which meant that I needed to be a professional something else. And it's because I, I had commitments, I had bills to pay, and um, I had a wife, and we wanted to start a family, and and you need work to do that. So it, it makes sense that you focus on these things, but um, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's not necessarily make you happy, but I think 99% of people doing day jobs are not in something they love, they're in something they need for the money. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, an, an unfortunate part of it is this, we've all been convinced that we can't do it ourselves, right? That we'll get eaten yeah. up by the bigger guy, by the big guy, by as musicians, by the labels, you know, they'll, they're, they're keeping holding the gates back and, you know, you got to be approved by them and go through their gatekeeping process to make it. And then they'll still screw you out of money. Right. Or if you want to try to, if you're, if you love cooking, you want to start a restaurant, you'll never be able to compete with, you know, the cheesecake factory or McDonald's or anything, you know, like, you know, they'll eventually, there's this, there's this idea that's been perpetuated that you can't, you can't do it on your own. And there's never been a better time to do anything, uh, that you're passionate about and earn a living from it, um, on your own. It just takes a shitload of sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's it. And, and maybe that is where I'm at and, that um, I'm not a hundred percent focused on music because I can't be. Um, I'd love to be. I'd love this to be my full time gig, but um, I need to pay the bills and and uh, and support the family. So um, not that I'd change that. Obviously, part obviously, of, um, family is part of life, um, and I don't regret going that way and doing that that's it's definitely something I wanted out of life and, and a part of life I really enjoy um, but yeah uh, the older I get the less and less likely it is that I'm, I'm going to be able to give up my day gig to, to do music yeah no I mean I still have my I just change what my day gigs are to make them more accessible to me instead of working 80 hours a week you know selling cars I work yeah. 20 hours a week doing food delivery and then another 20 hours a week doing sound for other bands and you know making those connections so yeah. you know it's 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 a, it's it's just a, it just took a different uh mindset i guess for me but i also don't have kids so that's i i I was able to you know leave behind by you know my nice studio apartment and move in with roommates in a in a shithole and you know (laughs) yeah and and make that sacrifice i suppose which um which yeah i'm kind of i have the trappings of of modern life and um I'm sure there's a few songs in there, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean it's just the reality of it, and I don't I don't regret it. Um, I it's just the reality of the situation. 
Absolutely. But that's the, that's been the fun thing is some of the best songs I've written lately are about the reality of that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. too. Like, um, I don't know if you ever listened to the descendants when you were young. I actually just Um, saw them a couple years ago, but they're still great. (laughs) Yeah. What what I loved about the descendants was when they were teenagers, they wrote songs about being teenagers. When they were in their twenties, they wrote songs about being in the twenties. And when they're in their thirties and forties, they write songs about being in their thirties and forties. I mean, they're not like the Ramones writing songs about being a teenager their entire career. Um, (laughs) And, and that's what I like about them. They get quite clever, like the Vandals as well. I think they write some quite clever middle-aged songs. Oh yeah. <laughs> middle-aged punk songs. Um, although, speaking of punk, I did hear the new No Effects album lately. And I am, um, I'm a bit of a sucker for No Effects because they, they just nail that catchy chorus. Um, and they always do something a bit interesting. This new album, like, um, I hate to say it, but um, being sober is not suiting Fat Mike's songwriting, I think. Um, when you hear nine songs about him being depressed because he's not on drugs, um, <laughs> is, uh, uh, yeah, the funds kind of went out of it. Um, and maybe that's a reality I didn't want from that band. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- at the same time, they they just did they just did my dream, uh, or they played uh, the decline with a orchestra at Red Rocks. Oh, which is, oh man, that is such a great fucking video. <laughs> oh damn, good. I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still. I, I would still go and see them if they came to town. Definitely. In fact, if lockdown abates, I'll be seeing them in September. But. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, that it's like any band when they get to the stage where they've got 10, 15 albums. Um, they, they either do stuff for themselves that makes them unaccessible anymore, or they just do it by numbers for the fans. And I'd, I'd say that Offspring, no, sorry, Offspring, Offspring as well, but I'd say No Effects <laughs> um, are probably one of those bands that maybe have a couple of killer tracks and and the rest are just um, formula, no effects. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a, that's a thing. Like, you know, we, you've only got so many great albums in you before, you know, it's, what, where do we go next, right? Uh, and some of my favorite bands have evolved over, over the years. Like, one of my favorites is Thrice. Like you, you listen to their early stuff and then you, they, 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 you can hear like the blues influence their music more and more and they've kind of like grown up with me. Right. And that's been, that's been fun. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, some, some bands are still just pulling the same shtick, uh, 30 yeah. years later. I think a band that kind of of the same vein as Thrice that I loved was um, AFI. Yeah. And I think they started off, well, they did, they started off quite screamo um, and shouty, and then they moved to goth uh, punk, and then they they moved to kind of poppy goth, electro punk. Um, 
I think they've got to the stage now, though, where they maybe not, or maybe people are expecting them to reinvent themselves and have kind of found mm-hmm. that space where they're doing kind of electro goth punk, and that's kind of where they've settled. Maybe I don't know. I'm they're they've released a couple of new singles lately that I've really enjoyed. Um, so I don't know. We'll see what this new album brings. But yeah, I've yeah. <laughs> I've really enjoyed watching their evolution over the years too. Going from like serial wars in the early days, right? To mom wouldn't yeah. let me get a mohawk, you know. <laughs> and then then the the real dark brooding stuff in the early two thousands, right? You know, Miss Murder and God called in sick today and all that stuff. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting evolution with that band, and I, I like it, but. um so where is where's the best place for our listeners to connect to you online oh i hate to say it but probably spotify um i do have a i do have a Bandcamp page if Bandcamp's your thing please go there but i know it's not everyone's thing i am on most streaming sites spotify seems to be the most popular um but um, I guarantee you, if you're on another streaming site, I'll probably be on there because I'm releasing through DistroKid and they distribute everywhere. Um, I do have my own website as well, which is uh, thegreatunfinished.net. Um, but uh, yeah, I direct the majority of my traffic through social media just now, like most people. Um, and I'm trying that game. So um, if you want to speak to me personally, um, uh, Facebook's probably the best place or Instagram. And if you if you want to hear my music, then a streaming site like Spotify is probably the, the most accessible. Brilliant. All right. Well, you've got a song that I love called The God's Honest. We're going to go ahead and play that right now. And then we will be right back. Thank you. Oh, the whole planet 
Like the truth is, we all deserve this for being complacent for too long. Like it's that's that's the God's honest man. Like yeah. you know, it's 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 fun. You watch on, in, on social media, you see like this, these generational wars, right? Where you know the millennials all hate the boomers, and you know the Gen Z all hate the millennials and the boomers, and nobody talks about Gen X because they are just God's forgotten children. And uh, <laughs> but in, in reality, like you know. We're all still complacent and complicit in the, the nonsense of everything. <laughs> I know, and it's like Greta, Greta Thunberg is amazing, um, but the fact that it took um, took a, a young European girl to take centre stage to shame us all, um, it's ridiculous. I mean, we all... We were all bombarded with images of, of us destroying the planet when we were younger. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I've tried, but yeah, we, if, if it goes to shit, we deserve it because we just ignored all this, everything that was happening. Um, and, it, and it might be too late. Um, so there's a glum thought for you. And, and yeah, it is. It's it's and it might be, but you know, it's wild because on the one hand, you know, like we're all you know to blame. Like we could do more. On on the other hand, it's it's been ingrained into us. I'd watched this great little bit, uh, this great little piece last night. Uh, John Oliver um, don't always agree with him, but ninety percent of the time he's spot on. Uh and uh yeah, he did this bit about plastics and the the big floating ocean of plastic and how it got there and basically, you know, the the companies that produce all these plastics have been ingraining in us that for for decades that it's our responsibility to recycle and it is. Yeah. But they don't actually use any of the recycled plastic. Like it's not actually yeah. <laughs> like we we all think that we're doing our part by sorting our stuff and and we need to do that like it helps but at the end of the day we're sending the bottles back and they're still ending up in landfills and the Coca Cola company still only makes about nine percent of their uh, their bottles. Uh, from recycled plastic because it's yeah. not cost yeah. effective. And then do you know what? It's it's definitely still a problem. I mean, to the extent where um the uh, your local authorities have got got people separating stuff um and and putting it out to recycle and people are assuming that all of that gets recycled. And do you know what the infrastructure isn't there? 
No. The investment hasn't been there over the years to properly recycle this stuff. Um, so, do you know what's interesting is um, when you look at the economy and how the economy is changing slightly, so the the stock market, for example, starting to get a conscience um, and you're, you're getting people moving towards sustainable investments. Um, so that's kind of forcing their hand to be more sustainable and to be more socially conscious. Um, and sometimes that's the only way to do it, to, to hit these companies financially. Um, and... Uh, and reward companies that do well through more investment. So that's where we need to be more responsible as a society. But I think it is going that way. I see. Um, uh, I, I kind of my day job is in banking. Um, for my sins, um, <laughs> and I can see a huge shift moving to sustainable investment. Which is awesome, and but that's that is the way. Like, you know, everybody wants the legislators to do more, right? Everyone wants the the government and the state to come in and fix all these problems. But the reality of it is, is the lobbyists will just come in and they'll make these laws that look like they're they're for a benefit. Like, you know, it's the law that you know all the bottles have, you know, uh, the recycling symbol printed on them right so that you know yep. you know which what type of plastic is blah blah that doesn't get used it was simply put there by it was lobbied by the uh the bottling companies to make sure that the responsibility is on us and not them to prevent plastic waste <laughs> yeah, i mean exactly but that that will change and it is changing so yeah. uh brand indices that that are based on um, sustainability and, and uh, how how much companies give back and how much they um, uh, how they show the right behaviours um, and protect the environment. So I think that will over time, and it probably just is a case of as the boomers die. Um, <laughs> The rest of us will move. Uh, will move the world into a more uh, uh, responsible place. Um, I like that. So, I mean, I know we can't blame the, the the previous generation for everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, but there are some terrible attitudes in that generation. <laughs> yeah, there's no joke. But some of them have been transferred to our generation, like. Exactly. I get, I get in plenty of arguments. I say arguments. They're just online spats with strangers just because on my local news station's Facebook page, there's tons of people my age with just the most awful opinions. Like, you know, the new the news article will be something about like how like a transgender woman got beat up. Right. Yeah. Uh, and like people like my age will go in the comments and be like, well, you know, it's a mental illness or like all kinds of crazy to like a person was violently attacked <laughs> and that your response yeah. is to have to try to politi politicize their sexual identity. Like what? <laughs> in, a, in a lot of ways, if you wanted to politicize that, 
you could say it's a failure in the education system. Yeah. Um, the fact that people can enter into adulthood being that stupid, there's <laughs> got to be a failure in the educational system. Or, or Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the great mu- message of that music, aside, of that song aside, um, tell us about the recording process of it. Like, how was... Uh, How'd you make it? What like you, you do your own recording? You've got your own home studio. Tell us about that. I do, yeah. So I started the home studio in, in twenty seventeen. So I haven't been at it long, um, but I did have experience recording before, not doing it myself. But I'm I'm very interested in that side of it. So whenever I've been working in a studio or recording in a studio, I've always been very, very keen to learn the, the things. So what, one of the benefits was, though, by the time it got to 2017, it's never been easier. So, um, like, the the leaps in recording software in the last five years, plugins, interfaces, um, uh, direct-out amp technology and all that, um, there's really, it's made it accessible to to everyone, really. Um, you don't need to be a pro anymore, um, and you don't need hundreds of uh, uh, education to get started. You can kind of learn that as you go on, huh? uh, if you kind of learn the basic concepts. So that's kind of how I approached it. Um, the... Um, the one of the things I kind of got out of the way in 2017 was just getting a, a process in place. So um just having a way of recording guitars, for example, that I liked and I've changed it about five or six times. Um but that that ability to be able to capture a good guitar sound right away, the uh and pair that up or the starting point was always a a good drum beat, but I always, I always kind of start with a riff. So I'm rambling a wee bit now. But I always <laughs> kind of start with a riff, and then I think, right, let's get a beat together and ad- and modify the riff so it fits in with the beat. Um, and then the song kind of writes itself, and sometimes I get to the end of it, and I'm like, well, that's two hours past, and I've got a whole song. Uh, and I'm kind of amazed. I mean, there are other times where... I could work at it all day and get nothing. And that's kind of the the problem with being artistic. I think you have to be in flow. But you can, I think part of the way I've set the studio up um, and the, the way I've sort of geared it towards inspiration means that I'm less and less stuck and I'm more and more going into flow and just doing stuff quite quickly. Um which I love because if, if I have to spend a whole day doing something, I probably won't finish it. And that's maybe the joke in the great unfinished is that I do have so many unfinished songs because I hate going back to stuff. I'd rather just nail it in one sitting, um, which is a difficult way to work. Um, but I do have like 300 songs on my heart. <laughs> um, so if uh, if ever uh, if ever I break my hand or something, I can always just go back and work them. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
but it's fun I love it and that's part of my process as well if I'm not enjoying it I'm not doing good stuff um, I'll only do good stuff if I'm enjoying it um, uh, another thing that kind of keeps me flowing is the way I do lyrics um, so I um, I I use the the notes section on my phone and every time I think up a good line or or hear a good line or I see something on a meme or someone suggests something um, I put that in my notes and then if I've got a bit of downtime I have a look through my notes and if I'm feeling creative I kind of write the, the loose structure of the song and then when I'm coming to the chords I've got lyrics so I'm not stopping the whole time to, to sit and boggle my brains trying to get lyrics. I've, I've already got a bank of lyrics. Now, there is a downside to that as well, in that um, music isn't just attaching poetry to, to music. Um, part of it is the lyrics um, coming together organically when you're when you're writing and you feel it and you feel the melody and you you structure lyrics around the melody and then you you write out from there. So quite often all I've got is maybe one or two lines and I'm thinking that would make an excellent chorus. So for the God's Honest I had the the truth is we all deserve this for being complacent for for too long. And because it's because it's quite odd phraseology, it made quite an interesting chorus, and then I just worked the verses out from there, um, and that kind of works for me sometimes as well. So um, I'd say probably the best ones come from a mixture of both, having some lyrics, um, and uh, not starting off dry, but being able to be not. Having them not set in stone, so that you can sort of evolve them and, and, and tweak them. So that's a kind of long answer, a that's long a, rambling answer. Long, long, uh, well, there's two things you brought up that are hugely important. One is that you know you, to produce a song, like to learn how to mix and that kind of thing, you don't need to spend huge amounts of money on an education. Like I did. And it was a huge waste of money. I learned more in a 20-minute YouTube video than I did in three years of learning music technology at university. And uh, then uh, on, on top of that, <laughs> you uh, you brought up like the notebook in your phone is the greatest yep. tool for songwriters that's ever existed. Like, I, I remember the days of trying to write songs. I'd come up with something and I'd have to like run into Starbucks and grab a napkin to write something down. on. <laughs> or the worst thing is you just convince yourself you'll remember it. You keep saying it over and over again. And then you get home and you're like, oh no, I've just been to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Um, Another hit gone. <laughs> so you're my first Scottish guest, so I'm intrigued to hear what your answer is. What's your favorite curse word? Oh, so interestingly, and I don't know if the, the, this this one's got a taboo, but the word cunt is used in Scotland, and um, and it's used in so many different ways. So, for example, you can be a good cunt, 
which means you're a good guy. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we use cuss words in in odd, strange ways, and I think we kind of took cunt, especially in, especially in Glasgow, we kind of took cunt as as a day to day word. I, I love that's my favorite, but that's not common in the states. Like, yeah, because you know I use it in the in the Scottish slash Australian way, right? Like you you call yep. your your mates cunt and you call your cunt's mate, as, as it yep. were, right? <laughs> and so yeah, I I think that's brilliant. I I love the the good hearted nature of you know using you know traditionally quote unquote bad mean words in a friendly and joking way. I think that's that's the heart of a great friendship. <laughs> but that, you know what it's interesting though? That it's, it's just that um certain words and how they're used in certain areas. Um so for example, like a jobby in Scotland is a is a poo or shit. Right. There is a guy in the band called The Bronx and his name is Jobby. And he doesn't understand why people in Scotland laugh when he says his name. <laughs> I love The Bronx. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't get that either until you just explained it to me. That's great. <laughs> uh, alternatively, what's your favorite piece? You've got, I see you've got some great gear just behind you. What's your favorite piece? Do you know, just now, uh, actually, I went into the the, the modular amp um, world. So I've got I've got two Randall RM100 heads, and one's full of Randall mods. So I've got the the, the XTC mod, which is the, the amplifier I'm talking about, by the way. The XTC mod, which is a Bogner Ecstasy, and the modern, which is a good Randall modern sound, Treadplate, which is uh, a, a Mesa Boogie. Um, and then on the on the second Randall, I've got Synergy mods on it. So I've got a Box AC30, and I've got a Friedman HB, actually designed and built by Friedman, and I've got a Diesel VH4. Um, and if I had just have one amp forever it would be that second Randall head with the with the synergy um, modules in it uh, you can just do anything at all with that yeah no that's awesome uh, yeah from a guitar point of view I am a bit of a guitar addict I've got about 35 but my favorite <laughs> just now is my Angus Young Gibson SG um, which I got um which I bought from a friend recently, um, and it sounds amazing. It's just instant ACDC, oh, although yeah. I can't play anything like Angus. <laughs> Who can? But uh, yeah, that's a that's it's a great tone, regardless. Like it's it's, it's yeah. a sound you want in many situations. <laughs> so. Uh, you, the great unfinished, you finally made it. You're on your, you know, your private jet, except you're probably more environmentally conscious than that. So you're probably taking the train or something and you're, you're on your world tour, right? And, uh, the, the train crashes in the middle of nowhere. You're stuck. Uh, 
with and for some reason you've got all your records with you and uh you know you only you have only have t- three time to grab three before the train crashes uh to listen to for the next however long you're stranded out in the middle of nowhere what three albums are you grabbing uh right these are out these are albums by other artists yeah yeah so i would take Earth versus the Wild Hearts. If you've never heard of the Wild Hearts, look them up. They're an absolutely incredible British rock band. Um, the Bad Religion Stranger Than Fiction. Um, it's just my favourite 90s punk album. Um, and I would go with Queen News of the World because that album has a special place in my heart. That, those are good choices. Uh, yeah, Stranger Than Fiction, just, just, yeah, that's, I could go on for hours about that album and how much I love it. But, uh, yeah, it's... What so, would you go for? What would I go for? Oh, no. Um, let's see here. I would probably take uh, Spoon, Give Me Fiction. Um, okay. This is bound to change tomorrow, so, you know. Uh, I'd probably take Radiohead in Rainbows. And I would probably take... Uh, what if I've been listening to lately? That a, a bunch that I, I can't... Uh, third, third one's tough. I'd actually... I'd take the new Black Pistol Fire album, actually. Um, that's if, if you haven't heard them. They're, um, yeah. So, would you recommend it? I would highly recommend it. If they're they're this two piece Canadian blues rock band, you know, kind of reminiscent of the Black Keys, but with ten times the heart. Um, <laughs> I um, I used to love the Black Keys back when they were doing blues music and they were using vintage instruments and recording really interesting places and. Um, just trying to get that vintage sound, but see, since they became a pop band, um, kind of like Kings of Leon, uh, just when they kind of went down that route, I kind of lost touch with them. It became like a, a housewife's choice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, their last two albums, are, they might as well have called them Ford Commercial. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, so the Black... Uh, Black Pistol Fire is recommend, reminiscent of like the early Black Keys music, but faster and harder. And they're, they're, uh, the drummer actually plays keys live while he drums. So you'll, <laughs> it's, it's one of the wildest things to watch. But yeah, their, their live show is like a spiritual experience that's just, just so gritty and intense and sweaty. <laughs> so what? Um, there's a lot of two-piece bands now, isn't there? There are. I, I love. I love it. I mean, as a, it's it's a it's a really Royal, cool setup. Royal Blood kind of started that, didn't they? Uh, I feel like the White Stripes probably started that. If anyone, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. And then Royal Blood, and then the picture books, and um, oh, there's there's like a screen to them for a while. Every. Uh, for a while, nearly every sport band is always a two-member yeah. band. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, it's good. Do you know what? I don't know how we got settled or so settled into a band must have a guitarist, a bass player, a drummer, and a singer. Um, and I thought I love that these bands are kind of shaking up. Um, and maybe that's an idea for me when I get when I get a band together, just to take an unusual format. Yeah, no, I have, when I, I really just, for my next iteration of a touring band, whenever that happens, I really just want to hire a drummer and have, uh, just, just have it be me, a drummer, uh, some backing tracks for the keyboards, me on guitar and vocals, and just a badass drummer. Like, that's, yeah. that sounds like a great time. Yeah, no, no, do you know what, that's a, that's a great idea. The only thing is, like, um, I, um. I, although I enjoy playing guitar on its own, I don't enjoy singing and playing. So generally, I teach the, I teach another guitarist the songs and I just sing. Um, but so maybe maybe a three piece. Yeah, get that. some get some really talented on the guitar that can kind of cover a lot of ground. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's brilliant. I'm about it. Like, cause that's kind of my thoughts too. Like one day I would like to get away from being behind the guitar, or the keyboard and just, just be the lead singer and have like a 10 piece band, right. And have a string section and a brass section, <laughs> yep, yep. you know, or, or even just, just play, just to tour and play with different orchestras. That's like the long-term, like crazy, you know, if I, if if I if I ever attain any sort of like actual commercial success to where I have the the clout to be like, hey, San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, let's uh, you should here's here's my songs, learn them, play them with me, the, the, yeah. the, you know, have the have the clout to be actually able to afford that and <laughs> make it happen, like that's the dream, right? But in the meantime, just having a drummer. I can I can work with backing tracks and all that fun stuff and a click track and you know make make it work and make it pretty. But yeah, that does sound great. Not having to be stuck behind an instrument and so I can move in and interact with the crowd. Right, that's that's the that's the yeah. thing. So I don't know. We'll see what happens yeah. after lockdown. Did you, did you ever <laughs> see the band Rocket from the Crypt? I've never movies. seen them. No, I, I, I'm familiar with them. I love them, but I've never actually seen them live. They they went through a phase like Scream Dracula. Scream was was quite big, and they had one trumpet player. And Scream when they done they toured Scream Dracula Scream, and then the album after they came with a whole horn section and matching suits and all that, and it was cool. It was fun, um, but I saw them like a couple of years ago in Glasgow and they played quite a small venue and they were just a really, really tight four-piece, no horns or anything. They just nailed it with any rockabilly. It's, it sounded like real, really gritty rockabilly, um, but they were absolutely brilliant. So, I mean, they, uh, yeah, they're a band that can go big and small. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. So, what we kind of touched about this a little bit, little bit earlier, but what what are your favorite topics to write about lyrically? 
um, do you know, I've kind of got stuck in a, a loop. Well, I kind of feel like um, part of part of my songwriting is cathartic. So I write a lot about mental health, um, depression, lockdown. Lockdown's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and life in general, uh, sort of, a sort of reoccurring theme is um, working at a job that's unfulfilling. Um, but I kind of mix that up with uh, political uh, statements. So um, I talk about fairness and corruptness and um, uh, political classes and um, and and then probably the third area that I focus on is that I kind of, what I sometimes do is I just watch TV and then if I see an interesting story, I'll write a song around that story. Um, and it's a way of getting another perspective or getting inside someone's head. Um, and I know a lot of people do have a lot of techniques for doing things like that. Like, um, I read something, uh, i seen a YouTube video on the guy, what he does is he looks at the best-selling books and he looks at the title and he, uh, if it's a snappy title, then it'll inspire him to write something. Um, and another guy that uh, he, he was talking about, he gets all his inspiration from the writings of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, <laughs> so... Um, Basically, he's writing about the Necronomicon and, um, and monsters and reanimating the dead and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, that um, I would love to do. Um, well, actually, I do. I do have a Halloween song every year that tends to be a bit out there and kind of. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, most of the time it's it's not my mo. More recently. Actually, I had a lot of success doing a Facebook post post where I just said suggest suggest a song a song title and I'll write you a song. And I got about ten ten good songs off the first one. Well it'd probably be eight eight good songs and two passable songs. Um I so like I done I it was again involved in that. What was that? I'm pretty sure I was involved in that. Didn't I say something about like Hunter S. Thompson named my baby or something like that? Oh, God, yeah. God, <laughs> that's the new one. So that's the most recent one. Yes. Um, so I've done this again this week and I've done the first song. Um, uh, so that's going to be on my list. Hunter S. S. Thompson named my baby. <laughs> um, I think that'll be a good sort of proto-punk song. Um, another one someone suggested was I pissed myself at a strip club. I was like, hmm, what could I do with that? So sometimes it's just getting something quite interesting and spinning it. I, I mean, I uh, feel like we've all pissed ourselves at a strip club at some point in our lives. So Yeah, if you, if you haven't, you haven't left. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and it's certainly, it's certainly not the worst thing I've done. <laughs> no, not not by a mile. <laughs> I love it. Um that's that's fucking rad. So uh 
what uh there's my favorite part of the show is uh hot takes with elder bryson what what's your unpopular opinion what's your uh what's your belief that you know is true that everyone else thinks you're crazy oh oh mm, that's hard um because i can be quite convincing with the real stuff but i think it's Probably this, and it, and although I I'd say there are people that do agree with me because I find them, the majority is against me, and it is that Alter Bridge are a good band. Um, I think they are probably the most boring, repetitive band I've ever seen live. Um, and I'd never put on an old bridge record. And that is controversial in some circles because I know people that absolutely love them. It's their favourite band. I just don't get it. Which, I, what, I don't think I've heard that band before. Alter Bridge? Yeah, I'm not familiar. That's rare. Really? Yeah, that's rare that I, I think like twice has anybody ever referenced a band on here that I haven't been intimately familiar so with. Do you know what it might be? It might be one of those bands, American bands that are huge in the UK, but not in America. And we just assume that they're, they're, they're huge in America too. Like I found that out about that band, Blackstone Cherry. Um, have you heard them? I have heard them. I'm not, not, not a huge fan. But Yeah, there's sort of radio southern rock right but again that's a band that's massive in the uk but i kind of find out that they weren't really that big in america right um so it's a weird one i thought all bridge were huge like mark mark tremonti he's probably a really famous guitarist miles kennedy sang with uh slash yeah, apparently they're associated with Creed, you know, everyone's favorite band Creed somehow. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I I think Creed split up and the, the rest of the band formed the water bridge. Um, but anyway, that was that was kind of pointless. Are there, there's <laughs> loads of bands that I absolutely hate. There's the band The Killers. Like, if they... There was a time, probably in my 20s, that if The Killers came on, in a in a bar or something, I would leave. Wow! I just hate that much. Oh man, the Killers is one of my favorite bands. Like, ooh. Do you know what? Do you know why I hated them? Uh, yeah. It was because they done interviews in magazines saying that they were the best band on the planet, and I thought <laughs> at best you're average. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I don't know what. What am I? What's the band? Uh, There's there's a band I gotta I gotta look this up real quick because it's 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 ringing bells for me from um there's 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 a band that I can't find it the there's a band that came out with their uh, album it's called it's literally their first album was called the greatest American band of the in the world (laughs) is their album (laughs) and that's both. It, it really is. I think it was White Reaper. Um, 
And yeah, they 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 were doing that technically. Uh, yeah, and so anyway, they they were on tour with Spoon, um, and uh, my friends and I went to Vegas to see them, and uh, you know we were all in a head of acid, and we actually ran into the lead singer uh, of Spoon, who's like one of my musical idols, like in the lobby on a head of acid, and we have like a minute to like chat with him and have a good time, and my my buddy I'm with, he actually like kind of looks like the singer, but he's about half his height. Uh, yeah. So all we can say is like, yeah, we 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 make fun of our friend because he looks like you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know what is weird though? I've met I've met a few people that are my actual idols, and I never know what to say. And then I I sort of beat myself up, um, and it's like I should have said this and I should have said that. <laughs> But the reality is, you probably shouldn't meet your idols. Oh no, um, I've I've worked with. Uh, I mean, sometimes it's cool. Like I've worked for Muse. That was great. They're they're an awesome band to work for. Um, but I've also worked for Ryan Adams, and he's probably the worst human on the planet. So yeah, I think, I think the whole world's turned against Ryan Adams. <laughs> But this was even before, like we found out, like that he was like a, a pervert and that kind of an asshole, right? Like this yeah. is just like, you know, like when bands have like a prop to put on stage, like a pinball machine or an arcade ma- machine, like they hollow it out, like they try to make it lighter to make it easier, right? Like, nope, yeah, just carry a full-on working pinball machine on stage for him for no reason. He didn't use it during his act. There's no reason for it to be up there other than just. A prop and, and his friggin' uh, ego. It was frustrating as shit. <laughs> that's something I wouldn't mind playing pinball in a band. <laughs> <laughs> the pinball wizard. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love it. But uh, yeah. But, the- yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very opinionated when it comes to music. And that's. Um, I've tried, I've learned over the years just to keep my mouth shut. specifically for my opinion um because i tend to feel quite strongly about music yeah i i've gotten less that way as i've gotten older like for you know throughout my entire teenage years if it wasn't you know bad religion pennywise no effects uh it wasn't music Right, just straight up. Right, uh, or Real Big Fish, I think, was on that list too for some reason. Uh, then I, and I got a little older. I got into like you know, Raging Against the Machine, Nine Inch Nails, kind of broadened you know, Radiohead, some of those other '90s alternative bands, kind of opened up my scope. And then it kept on growing and growing and growing. And as I got older, I became more accepting of more genres and more types of music, more bands. Like I'll still always hate Kings of Leon; they're just terrible. Yeah, but. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I've developed a love for, like, even, like, some, like, pop Like, I, I respect the fuck out of Lady Gaga, right? Like, I, I think she's incredibly talented, you know, for being what she is. Like, it's it's a, it's a thing. Like, and years ago, I yeah, would have never thought that. I saw, I saw an interview recently that said that one of the reasons why rock music was dying was that we went through a culture of anti-rock star. Um Probably the last rock stars were probably Guns N' Roses, uh, Metallica, around about there. 
And then after that, when they were in the grunge and when punk became popular, being a big rock star putting on a huge show became unfashionable to the extent where young people never aspired to that kind of band anymore. Um, so really, the big shows are, are rap artists and, and pop artists now. Um, and I suppose it isn't any wonder that kind of rock is, is losing popularity with young people. It, it, yeah, no, that is absolutely a thing. I and mean, you still, there are few bands that still put on a, a hell of a big show. And uh, like even in the punk world, I saw Rise Against a couple years back and they put on a hell of a rock show uh, still. Um, but, uh, you know, like Muse, Arcade Fire, uh, LCD Sound System, some, some of these bands still know how to put on a hell of a show. But you're right. Yeah. Like it's it's not the main. It's not the norm anymore. Like, you know, I, I work a lot of arena gigs, and most of them are the Jonas Brothers and Carrie Underwood and Tyler. And, you know, those are the, those are the tickets that sell, right? And it yeah. If you if you if there is a big band selling out that's been around for thirty years, and there's no new bands, new rock bands coming up and, and doing that. Yeah, there's there, there, and there there should be. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Although music's cyclical, so it will have its day again. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm convinced that you know because uh, one of the last concerts I went to before the great lockdown was uh, the Cure with the Pixies and uh. Uh, and Mogwai, and uh, that was a great show. And I think that that style is kind of making a comeback, like that the 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 post punk era of the late seventies, yeah. early eighties, I think, is kind of starting to come around. Do you know the Pixies are interesting though because they weren't huge headliners in the eighties and nineties, and um, but they came back in the two thousands and were headlining festivals, and it's like, how can you come back bigger than you ever were? <laughs> But um, I do love the Pixies, though, and um, I've got tickets for Pearl Jam if it happens in the summer. Um, and uh, the Pixies are supporting. So fingers crossed I'll see that one. Yeah, no, I did. It was, I've seen them twice in the past decade, and they've been phenomenal both times. Three times, shit. I just don't remember one time because I was hammered. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I saw them a few times, and then they're quite... <laughs> Quite odd settings. One was headlining a festival, and the other um, one was playing a, a wee bandstand in a park. Um, it, we have this one in Glasgow, which is the summer sessions, I think it's called, and they, they play in the, what's called the Kelvin Grove Bandstand at Kelvin Grove Park, and the Pixies played in there, and I was thinking, it's odd. That that band can headline a festival and have the whole crowd at a festival singing, and then can play somewhere that small. Um, it's also quite cool. Yeah, cool. Well, because I remember because they broke up for a long time. I think it was part of it. And during the time they were broken up, I think was when the their uh, Where's My Mind was in Fight Club. If I'm yeah. if my timeline's not yeah. off, so that boosted their popularity a whole bunch while they weren't together, and so then they finally replaced Kim Deal with uh, Paz, who I think is far more talented. But anyway, that's not something we need to go into that deeply. Um, and uh, 
then uh, they they started they got back together and I was at actually their first reunion show was at Coachella. Uh, I forget what year it was. And it was like a surprise, right? Like nobody knew it was happening. Like it was just like the day of, oh, by the way, the Pixies are going to be on the stage. And I was like, what? <laughs> like it just came out of nowhere. And then, yeah, that's right after that was when they started headlining festivals again out of after just being completely non-existent for over a decade. So, yeah, that's a thing. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great band. I mean, there's a few bands that came back to headline festivals that weren't that big before as well. Tool's a good example of that. Yeah. Like, um, Tool, Tool were, weren't playing huge venues um, and then they went away and came back and suddenly they're, they're headlining festivals. Um, but they're, they're one of those bands that um, I, I kind of I like Anima and I like the one before that with Prison Sex on it. I can't remember the name of it. Undertow. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, but apart from that, they've just got maybe deliberately um, abstract to the point where um, yeah, just I just struggle to get it. Sometimes it's not even rock music. Um, it's weird, eclectic stuff. Yeah, it's, it's and then it's cool. just do what they like, but it's weird that a band can come back and be that eclectic and weird and and still get these huge festivals and stuff. Yeah. And, and, and a huge following. But what's wild is that when they weren't doing anything in that big period of time where they didn't exist, I actually got to see the drummer play with his jazz band in a tiny little venue in Hollywood called the Baked Potato, like 20 seats, 25. And then my buddy and I, we got to in like they, they, they have like a small area that like you can wait in line for for standing room only like fits like five to ten people. Right. So they can get a total of like 30, 30 to 35 people in this tiny little venue. Right. And it's, he's got this jazz fusion band called Volto. They're phenomenal. But I think that's where a lot of their weirder stuff comes is like the jazz influences on the drummer when they were away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, perfect circle were kind of like, we're, we're just like two. Yeah. And then two became something else. That could be it. You know, you don't need two tools, so you've got Perfect Circle, and then Tool became far more psychedelic and jazzy. Yeah, that works. Yeah, I remember, I remember seeing Tool on the Undertow tour, and quite a lot of bands play Glasgow either at the start of the tour or the end of the tour, and it was the last night of the tour, and the singer came on, is it Maynard? Yeah. And he came on completely butt naked. <laughs> Done the whole gig butt naked. All right. I, w- I was like 16 or some 17 movie. And I was like, um, I'm not, I'm not enjoying this. Yeah. That, it's, that's yeah. Right now, 30 year old me would think, have a laugh at that and be like, that's brilliant. Good for you. But 16 year old me would be like, what the fuck? Why? <laughs> right? This 
I don't need this in my life. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, he's a character. Like I I remember one time uh, somebody, he owns a vineyard out here in the States, like makes wine. And one time somebody asked him if his wine was vegan, right? And so he checked and found out that in fact it was. So he decided he had to remedy that and dip bacon into the wine barrels to make sure his wine wasn't <laughs> vegan. <laughs> so weird dude. people ask vegan beers and stuff like that. Why is it a beer that's not vegan? I think certain types of yeast are like made from animal products or something like that. I don't know. Okay. Do you know what? Um, I respect <laughs> the discipline. I couldn't live like that. I really couldn't. My wife's gone vegetarian again. She was vegetarian when we first met. Um, and she's in the last sort of month or so, she's went vegetarian again. So that's a hassle because I'm at home all day. Uh, I'm moaning like a like a house husband now. Because I'm at home all day, I have to cook the dinner. Um, she's a key worker. She has to go out. Yeah. Um, and... So now I'm cooking three different dinners. I'm cooking some for myself, some for the kids, because they don't eat normal food, and then something vegetarian. <laughs> I'm honestly considering just going vegetarian myself, just to just just some less meals they cook. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I was a vegetarian once on a dare or a bet. I bet someone a steak dinner that I could be vegetarian longer than him after he like came back and was all judgmental of me. He came back from university like, I'm a vegetarian now. Look how honorable I am. I'm like, you're just doing this to impress a girl. He's like, no, man, you don't get it, bro. I'm like, yeah, I bet you I can be, I bet you a steak dinner I can be vegetarian longer than you. So then anyway, he goes back to university, comes back the next summer. I see him at a barbecue eating a hot dog. I'm like, how long have you been eating meat, you asshole? He's like, about three months. I'm like, fuck you. Where's my steak dinner? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I ate like seven I, I, hot dogs and made me sick. <laughs> I can go and go one better than that and maybe a bit more inappropriate. But there was a <laughs> um there was a guy I worked with, a friend of mine, and he was Muslim and he was fasting for Ramadan, and I bet him that I could fast better than him for Ramadan. <laughs> <laughs> and and he Crave two days because they've got all these rules that basically in a day you're traveling or if if something happens then then you can you can break your fast. Um so he broke it in two days during it um and I lasted the whole thing. So I beat him at Ramadan. Nice. That's an accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um but yeah, back to live music. What's the best show you've ever played? Uh, played, oh, um, I when I was in the band called the Kamikazes, we done a, a battle of the bands, and and we absolutely nailed it to the extent where there was loads of people coming up and talking to us and asking for where they where they get copies of their music and and all sorts of things, and then we came dead last. In the Battle of the Bats. So we went up and said to him, like, what happened? And said, oh, do you know what? We um, we would have 100% voted for you. 
but we're all here to see our friends' bands. <laughs> I mean, you have to vote for your own friends. <laughs> <laughs> so probably the best show we ever played became last in a battle of bands. <laughs> That's of great. Bands. But you, you gained fans from that. Like, who cares if you won? Like, you, at that point, you've got people, like, listening to your music. That's That's the bigger win, right? Yeah, I think it was about a week before we split up, so it was not. Shit, I love that. Awesome. Um, so if you were me, you could step in my shoes. What would you have asked yourself that I didn't? Hmm. I don't know. There was some there was some great questions. Um No, I'm going to have to be boring and say that you've done a fantastic job and I can't think of anything. Well, I appreciate that. This is this is actually, this has been fun, but this is also, I'm looking at it, this is not only the shortest song that I've played on this show, but the longest recorded episode, I think, that we've done, or in, in the top <laughs> couple. So this that's a, that's a great dichotomy. <laughs> I, I, I think you can cut about 20 minutes of political chat out. I could, but I'm not going to. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the haters. Um, yeah. So, do you have any final words for our audience? Uh, no, it's been enjoyable. This is actually the first interview I've ever done about my music. So, um, appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, and if uh, if you're on Facebook, look for the Great Unfinished. Um, and uh, follow me on Spotify if you if you like what you hear, and um, that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>